0: Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Proverbs 30, verse 7 to 9. This proverb is speaking about our attitude towards wealth. He is saying, Lord, do not give me too much, because then I will become arrogant, nor give me too little, otherwise I might steal. Today we are talking about wealth and how a healthy relationship with money looks. We have already discussed a flourishing life in some of our previous episodes and made it clear that money is definitely not one of the aims of life, but yet it is still an important part of life. And we need to have a healthy relationship with money in order to flourish now what we mean with wealth can be quite a few things we can mean the amount
1: of money you have the amount of goods you have even that you are rich in good family relations that you have a loving wife or husband and that you are somebody of a high standing in society in all of these different ways you can be wealthy however we would like to make a distinction When we say somebody is wealthy in the sense of having too much or too little, we would rather speak in this podcast about having too many goods
0: or too much money or too little goods or too little money. But we would invite you, dear listener, to change your view of wealth from merely material welfare. There are many who are in this life who might abound in material goods, but they lack in family or in trust relationships. And there's a big sense in which they are poor. And we would also put forth that having healthy relationships is actually a goal in and of itself. That is different from goods, where goods and money is only for some purpose. If you think about gathering money and the gathering of the money is where your mind stops, then you have an unhealthy relationship with wealth because wealth is always for a purpose
1: now that depends on the specific type of wealth we're speaking about another way in which somebody could be wealthy is in health being very fit and very healthy could be a very good thing and then having certain diseases or sickness could be privation in this case and this would also
0: apply to the topic of today okay Pierre you're now speaking about health being wealth but what do you mean by that? And how does that apply to our previous passage where the guy says Do not give me too much, then I may forget you, or too little that I might steal. How can that apply to health? So in this case, I would think having an abundance of
1: health would be a form of being wealthy. It Might be stretching it a bit, but when somebody, and we can think of this in our own lives, when we are very healthy and doing very well and we're not struggling with anything, how often do we not forget the Lord? And then when we start getting sick or suddenly have an injury, then we're praying, you know, <laughs> Lord, please take away this pain um, or the suffering or so on. So I think that's a way in which it's applicable to this passage.
0: What's very interesting about that is there's this weird state of mind we get when everything is going really well. We tend not to question our decisions. We tend to become quite proud. I've often experienced it when it has gone well in my life where I would just run with life whatever i might think to be good and i would not listen to the advice of others nor would i stop and consider so there's a real sense in which having everything that you think you need might actually be bad for you because it stops you from stopping it stops you from asking am i on the right path and often when people are wealthy be it either in health or in money, or in possessions, or even in family, they might not necessarily stop to consider, am I doing the right thing? We see this
1: also with people who are very wealthy or have an abundance of ability or talent, that they
0: fall into the same pothole. Before we can ask the question, what is too much wealth or what is too little wealth? We need to ask the question, what is the purpose of wealth? When does wealth do its job and when does it not do its job? We use money as a secondary good to get other secondary
1: goods that lead to primary goods. So we use money in order to get goods and services, things like a house, education, food, and travel. And these are in order to get primary goods. These would be things such as being healthy would be a primary good. So the secondary good we procure would be food and the good we use for that would be money. So these are different ways in which wealth helps
0: us to have a flourishing life. What's interesting about this is if I use my wealth for an evil, that I could have, it would have been better for me not to have that money. If I use my wealth to buy food that kills my body, or I buy some substances that give me pleasure, that addict me, then the wealth I had in order to buy these things was actually bad for me. If I use my wealth to put my child into a very high class school, but the school breeds pride in my child instead of educating them, then it would have been better that I would not have had the money to buy the the private school, which would have made my child proud. This makes money an extremely morally ambiguous thing. Because you can use money for a great good. You can care for people who cannot care for themselves. But on the other hand, you can use money to build up your own pride and your love of pleasure. And we should be wary of this.
1: It's quite difficult when working through the Christian scriptures because it seems to give this very complex view of how to treat
0: money and to treat having a wealth of goods. On the one hand, Ecclesiastes says it is good to enjoy the wealth you have but on the other hand the scriptures also says it is more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven i.e live a flourishing life in relationship to god than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle turning to having an
1: excess of wealth ecclesiastes 5 verse 13 says there is a gravest evil that i have seen under the sun riches were kept by their owners to his herd And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Ecclesiastes here. Points out that people who build their lives, which we all have the tendency to do, around having a wealth of either money or goods, will eventually leave this life with nothing. And what Ecclesiastes is doing here is it's pointing out that having a lot of stuff is of no avail for us when we die. Eventually, everything we procure in this life is going to go away. So the question is, why do we toil after all of this money and goods if it's not gonna go with us when we all die and yet the writer of ecclesiastes says behold what i have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with one toils under the sun the few days of his life that god has given him for this is his lot this gives this difficult balance in which Having much is not an evil thing, however, it should not be our source of meaning. So, with this comes a responsibility. With the wealth we have, we should use it in this life, not hoard up and then have it waste. But rather, because it's a secondary good, to use it towards its primary good. And that can be caring for yourself, caring for your family, and then caring for your neighbors, caring for the people around you, being somebody
0: who is not greedy, but rather who is kind. And if you find yourself being in the position where you feel like, I'm not suffering from an excess of wealth, but from a lack of wealth. We should always be very honest with ourselves. Often, even those with little can become greedy in the sense that they try to find their meaning in wealth. And we should all be wary of that. Further, one should ask the question, am I being responsible with what I have? The little that I have. Christ says, he who is responsible with little will be trusted with much. Although being responsible does not guarantee having enough, we know many people who are very responsible, but they are struggling to make ends meet. It is still better to be responsible with what you have, than not. If we are responsible with what we have, whatever it might be, we are meaningfully contributing to the community and we are meaningfully contributing to the lives of those around us. So I want to encourage you, whether or not you feel like you have much or little, consider the good you can do and consider when you are doing evil with the wealth you have. It might be better to be generous so that you don't have that excess, in order to commit that evil. Another practical
1: application would be, what do we do with having too much wealth? In cases where you make enough to save, how much is too much savings? At what point am I storing up too much? A good measure, and this is just some practical advice I hope would help, would be to think of the standard of living you have now and to try and extrapolate to your old day to have more or less enough so that you do not need the help of your children, if you do have children, to support you. If it does end, and I want to just make this clear, that you do end up needing your children to look after you, there is no evil in that since you looked after them for 20 years, so they can look after you for 20 years. But in cases where you could help, so that you do not need their help to support you, it would be good to put enough away for that day. But there's always the warning of not living your life now. So put enough away to try and live that standard of life in the future without saving too much money so that you do not do the things you want to do. If you have a love for traveling, there's nothing wrong in spending money to travel. It only becomes an evil when you use so much that you now become a burden. In the same way, if you have enough and you can do charity, then do charity. That's in fact commanded to us as Christians. However, if you give so much away in charity that you yourself has, have now become a burden to the
0: church, then you've actually done a wrong, not a good. But I think it is good to note that we very rarely err on the side of generosity. Assume you're not generous enough. Dante, in the Divine Comedy, gives a very interesting picture of greed. He says a greedy person is like a person shoving a rock around in a circle. And then they hit that rock onto someone else's rock. And then they shout at one another. Why are you giving so much away? Why are you saving so much? And then they end up pushing their rock further. And what this means is when we are greedy, we are doing so much effort. To shove our rock of our bank account up and when we hit against other people that might get go in our way of our rising bank account we can become very angry at them and often they at us and then we turn away and we continue shoving our rock further living a life in order to optimize your wealth is as meaningless as rolling around a rock naked we came into this life and naked we will leave so make sure in your relation to money that it's always towards a good. If you are working to make more money that is a good if you are being disciplined but think what it is for. And often we make money out of fear. Watch that. Be self-aware. Do not make money because you have fear that you will not have enough. You might even find that being generous will break that fear. When I was 19 I did a Christian missions course. It was this course where you go to another town you go stay in a house with a bunch of people and for three months and then you go on an outreach now you have to fund the entire missions course yourself I worked for a few months to pay my first three months but the outreach in other words the traveling part I did not have the funds yet for so I was hoping and praying that the family members and friends that I have might help me to have the funds to go on this outreach so but I did not have enough at that stage and then we had like a little fundraising meeting where the members of the group who were gonna go on outreach were called to consider whether or not they wanted to be generous towards the others in the group because we were from various backgrounds we had different levels of income and money and so we were called to consider and then i realized i do not have enough in any way so it is better to be generous because I'm trusting the Lord already. That broke something in my brain. <laughs> and in my, in the future times when I was studying. And I had more control over my own finances. I realized. I will never have enough. To content my sinful soul. So let me have peace. Let me be general generous in any way. And that has freed me with money. In a way that I'm very thankful for. Dear listener. We would recommend
1: to you. That whether it is. In much or in little that the purpose is rather to find contentment in this and then to move forward to a flourishing life one in which we have enough for this we would like to read Philippians 4 verse 11 and 13 not that I am speaking of being a need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I can do all things through him who strengthens me that whether Paul had much or had little. He learned to be content. And I think that is a striving that we should have in this life. Because having too much or too little is sometimes in our control and sometimes not. But what is in our control is our attitude towards the situation. And striving for one in which we find happiness in what we have now, while striving for better, is a better life in than one in which we are tossed to and throw, between having much and having little. Beautiful one, and come away. O my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. My beloved is mine and I am his. This is in the Song of Solomon, two verses fourteen and
0: sixteen. Romantic love, a thing which drives quite a lot of modern commerce and takes the mind of most of us. It is something that is seen by many modern people as a gateway to happiness. If I have this then I will be happy, whatever romantic love might mean for the individual. People differ on whether or not they believe in monogamy or whether or not they believe a healthy romantic relationship is just one where you have a good time together and it is a source of great hurt and great joy for many. How does one navigate your own feelings this biological drives that we have how do you navigate whatever you hear about a good relationship either from your family from your friends or from the media how does a healthy relationship towards romantic relationships look and how does a flourishing life look in terms of that that is what we will be discussing now I
1: think we should begin by looking at why most of us desire romantic relationships I think one of the main reasons for this is that we are fundamentally made as beings who want a relationship. We want relationship with friends and then we are made for intimacy. And part of that intimacy is a physical intimacy in a loving relationship. We see that a variety of our social parts of our lives have tapped into this desire. Whether it's in the media or in certain forms of a privation of it. We all feel this desire for this relationship and that's why it's so powerful and so prevalent in our lives. However, something which is meant for great good can
0: also be something that leads to a great amount of evil. Whether or not you have been in romantic relationships, whether or not you are in one, in a serious one, in a non-serious one, whether or not you are single, you have had probably both a variety of positive experiences be it just being in love and probably a variety of negative experiences with romantic relationships.
1: The Christian philosopher C.S. Lewis once wrote that romantic love is one of the few points in which we actually take ourselves off of the throne of our hearts and put someone else up there. Having and being in love is one of the few times in which we truly become selfless in which we really will the good of another, in which we actually try to love, even if it's just
0: for a brief moment. And, and this points towards the purpose of romantic love. Romantic love is a special type of relationship where a man and a woman decide to commit to one another permanently. We see Romans has certain phases. It begins with seeing
1: the other and falling in love. And then pursuing the other and seeing whether they would share that feeling or not. And then eventually it comes to the point of saying what you feel. And that's when the point, when it is reciprocated, that dating starts. And in dating, one starts to evaluate the other for marriage. And then if it comes to a point that you can see that this is the type of person to marry and to have children with. Then it moves further into asking whether this person, for the guy now, asking whether this woman would be your wife, which is an immense commitment. And if she says yes, then you are betrothed. And then you evaluate further, you plan your wedding, and then you get married. And marriage is this wonderful union of two imperfect people who purposefully and actively Every day choose to love one another despite themselves and even sometimes despite the other We see romance has a certain purpose Its purpose is union in marriage Union in marriage involves quite a lot of different parts It involves being emotionally open to someone in a way that you have never been open to anyone else It's a way of spending your time and your efforts for the care and the love of the other. And then it's a way in which, only in marriage, you have a relationship with this this other person that is physically intimate. And that intimacy creates a bond like no other in your life. And then spiritually, you find that you have a commitment to this other person in which, as a man, you look after them, after your wife, spiritually. And as a wife, you also look towards the spiritual welfare of your husband. It's this reciprocal caring for one another, a constant giving and receiving of one another emotionally, physically and spiritually
0: that's built on a way of supporting one another. Note that romantic relationships are not primarily due to the feeling of being in love. The feeling of being in love is actually just supposed to be a short boost so that you can get into a relationship. It's a motivator. It's not the purpose of the relationship. We spoke about pleasure earlier and how pleasure is supposed to motivate us to the good. But if you start focusing only on the pleasure, you lose out on the good that the pleasure is supposed to support. And then pleasure can even be a bad thing. In the same way, feelings of being in love is to motivate us to pursue the other. But that is not the purpose of the relationship. The purpose of the relationship is to choose to love the other and that inevitably involves an act of the will and service. Note that two selfish people cannot be in a healthy marriage. The same in which it's difficult to have a healthy friendship if you are selfish but with a marriage it is even worse because you live in each other's space and selfish people are notoriously difficult to live with. That means that there are actually certain requirements that there are in order to be the type of person that can be in a healthy relationship. Not everyone can immediately be in a healthy relationship, unfortunately, in the same way that not everyone can lift up a heavy weight without having exercised. It is unfair because some are more prepared than others due to their family or their beliefs, but it is a fact of the matter and it is better to acknowledge that and to work at it Than to merely despair. And dear listener. If you are single.
1: In this lies a great opportunity. If you feel called to marriage. You are somebody that really wants to marry at some point. Then evaluate whether you are the type of person to be married to. It's a great opportunity to develop the type of character. For somebody who is in a marriage. To work on being somebody who can commit. To being someone who can be loyal. Someone who can give and also receive and then somebody who can forgive. Because when you marry, you will be imperfect and whoever you marry will also be imperfect. So if you cannot forgive, you cannot marry. And the same goes for all of the
0: previous things we've mentioned. Note that marriage contains both characteristics that are common to all our relationships, such as being able to forgive such as being loyal, and there are some characteristics that are not common to all our relationships. What is common is communication, forgiveness, honesty, loyalty. What is not common is the marriage relationship, planning your finances together, planning your family together, staying together. And the level of commitment in marriage is a lot more than almost all other relationships in this life. If you are in a relationship I want you to evaluate whether or not you are loving the other. Are you in this relationship for yourself or for their benefit? There is often this mistake that we have in our personal relationships that we can only be good to someone else if they are good to us and that is intrinsically flawed. You have seen if someone commits revenge for an evil done the other and the other does the same things just get worse. If you Expect the other to do good first before you can do good. Then there will never be reconciliation. Rather, like Christ, put yourself beneath the other and serve first. You will find gradually a reconciliation of the relationship. And this isn't just a Christian opinion. It works. (laughs) Scientific studies in psychology see conscientiousness, the ability to consider others as a helpful characteristic For long-term relationships
1: I think in this we can see one of the purposes of marriage where in this union of marriage that's like a glue keeping two imperfect individuals together we see one of the few opportunities to really work on our character this is
0: a great place in which people grow in christian maturity and character contrary to wealth is something that we actually do carry with us It is something that we will carry with us to the next life. And it is a wonderful opportunity to love and to be loved. It can be an amazingly safe place, but it can also be a horrible place to be, to be in an unhealthy relationship. In this, we see the importance of dating
1: and being betrothed. This gives you the opportunity to decide whether you want this or not, because contrary to the way that most people would think today, Christianity does not entertain the possibility of divorce. The only point that is given in the scriptures for divorce is if somebody committed adultery. And that's plainly just given because committing adultery means you've in all practical senses divorced already. You've broken the vow that you have made that kept these that kept your marriage together, in which case you've already broken the marriage to
0: some extent. That means... Divorcing because the person irritates you or divorcing because they insulted you is not enough. Those things can be forgiven. Those things can be healed. Pierre, many would tell me that this is way too high a standard. That we should not expect this. And that to expect anybody to live in the way we've just explained with romantic relationships is unreasonable. What would you say to that? Unreasonable? No. Extremely difficult. Yes
1: Such is it with most good things in life Most good things in life is immensely difficult to accomplish and to have and to do but such is Just part of having the good things in life. If you want a marriage that works Then you're gonna need to sacrifice if you don't like it don't get married Because there is literally no other option. We cannot be mad at the sky being blue and we cannot change it so we might as well be happy with it the way it is i think in this lies one of the greatest difficulties for us as human beings we find it immensely difficult to change ourselves we would rather always want to see the problem in somebody or something else and so i think is the issue in marriage We would say it's immensely difficult to live to the good of the other. Yes, it is. That's why I think and that's why I emphasize forgiveness. Because it's immensely difficult to do this, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't still do it.
0: It is so much better to forgive. It is so much better to be loyal. It is so much better to give, and it is so much better to receive. And it is so much better to be in a committed relationship where you know that the other looks out for your good and you for theirs. Dear listener, I want to encourage you. If you are single, be loyal in your relationships that you already have. Be loyal to your family. Be loyal to your friends. Be committed to them. Look after them. Look after their good. Give to them, even if you have to sacrifice. And receive good from others. And forgive them and forgive them and forgive them. By practicing these general things, we make ourselves ready for being a married person.
1: And these are so immensely difficult, as we've said throughout the podcast. That's why, as a Christian, I believe that marriage is impossible without having the working of the Holy Spirit. It's immensely difficult already, without the working of God in our lives, to have this type of relationship. And that's why... Contrary to what you might hear from many people, you should not, as a Christian, be married to someone who is not a Christian. Were you already married and came, became converted, then stay with this spouse. But if you have a choice, rather marry a Christian who truly loves God. In fact, marry a Christian who loves God more than they love you. Because in that, you would have a better chance at having a happier marriage than marrying somebody who doesn't truly love the person you love the most. And I want
0: to encourage you. This sounds very much scary. And I'm married now at the time of recording for about six months. And getting married and being married has been one of the most difficult things I've done in my life. It's not been one of the most pleasurable things in my life, although it has been deeply satisfying. I really love Ida, my wife, and I enjoy being with her. The other day I had to go to the telescope for a night to do some observations, and I did miss not coming home to her. And there are many good things we look forward to, but it wasn't easy, nor was it the most pleasurable thing I have done. So I want to encourage you work for a healthy relationship. Look at the things in yourself. Look at the little finicky things that you have that make you difficult to live with and consider them because you will be doing your future spouse a favor. The more easily you are to be lived with, the more blessed you will be to them and it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you are already married, appreciate the person you have. It is not easy to appreciate someone. It is actually a great prize to have someone to appreciate. Be thankful for the person you have now. If you are not married, the one for you, uh, there's this idea walking around that there is someone that is for you. If you are not married, the one for you does not exist. It is whoever you choose to commit to and who commits to you. If you are married, the one for you is the one you married. And dear listener, from the Christian scriptures, we'd like to give two pieces
1: of advice to those who are single out of the Song of Solomon. I endure you that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And then to those who are married, out of Ecclesiastes 9, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So for those who are single and you feel called to marriage, work and become the type of person to be married to. And also we should not take ourselves too seriously to have a calmness around you and to really have a life, enjoy life, run this race that is set before you and then see who keeps up and who keeps running next to you and then see if they have interest in you. And then to those who are married, although marriage is difficult, It's immensely
0: satisfying and to keep on striving after it. This advice to love the wife of your youth is very good advice. And if if you're a woman and you have a husband, love him. There is much joy in that. And he will find much joy in you loving him back. Thank you for listening to the Substantial Life podcast. If you like this episode, please share this episode, leave a comment or ask us a question on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. You can also leave us a review wherever you find your podcasts. And remember, seek wisdom wherever it might be found.